Welcome to another MDS podcast episode. Pleased to have here Dr. Florence Chang, neurologist and movie disorder specialist from Westmead Hospital, Australia. She's an expert in dystonia, and today she's going to talk about highlights of dystonia in the conference and also recent papers regarding dystonia. Thank you, Florence, for coming today. Thank you, Hugo, for inviting me in the kind introduction. It's my pleasure to try and condense some of the highlights that I have come across during this year's Movement Disorder Congress meeting. So I'll divide the sessions into initially treatment group and also in pathophysiology of dystonia. It was very kind for Dr. Marie Vidalé to share with us her clinical approach towards the outpatient management of patients with dystonia. She raised the non-motor feature uh, should be highlighted and also screened during the outpatient setting. Since patients with dystonia, they have two to three times more common and more prevalent rates of depression, anxiety and lifetime suicidality. So it'll be important for us in our routine clinical practice to screen for these non-motor features and refer and treat accordingly. Another review that has been introduced in the Congress is by Dr. Stephen Tish and Dr. Kishor Kuma last year. They published a review on patients with isolated dystonia and particular genes can predict good DBS outcome. And so that will change our clinical practice. Genes such as the DYT1 or TOR1A gene and the epsilon sarcoglycan gene, which is responsible for myoclonus dystonia, both of them can predict excellent DBS outcome. And knowing this will be a good tool to introduce to patients for DBS counselling and patient expectations. Whereas other genes such as X-linked dystonia Parkinsonism after DBS is also expected to have some good outcome as well. So the other genes that have variable outcomes following DBS, but it's been reported in small studies, has been GNAL, KMT2B, ATP1A3 and the ANO3 gene, whereas poorer and more variable response to DBS has been reported in the SAP1, which is a DYT3 gene mutation. Thank you, Laura, for summarizing those important and relevant findings for clinical practice. And is there any innovations or advancements in the treatment of dystonia, particularly with more invasive treatments? Yes, so during the conference, there has been highlighted that a MRI focused ultrasound can show some significant benefit in focal hand dystonia patients, so patients with riders' occupational dystonia, such as musicians' dystonia. However, uh, this study is only a past 10 patients or very small numbers, and so further large blinded and chain control studies are needed to prove the efficacy uh, of MRI focused ultrasound. So then I'll move on to some posters and sessions that have highlighted some new discoveries in the pathophysiology of dystonia. So one post I came across comes from New Delhi, India, 
And they looked at patients with isolated familial dystonia and they did whole exome sequencing on 137 probands and they found that the most common mutation was the SAP1, which is a DIT6 mutation. And this was present in 7 out of 137 patients, so around about 1%. So that is quite surprising given initially that one was discovered in the Amish Mennonite population in the United States, but now I had to think about the Indian patients as well. Another poster I came across was a PET scan of an 18-fluorodeoxyglucose that was done during globus pallidus deep brain stimulation for cervical dystonia participants. And this found that there was increasing glucose metabolism in the sensory motor cortex and the supplementary motor cortex. And this correlated with dystonia symptom severity. So this study highlights the way DBS can work through an indirect effect on the sensory motor network through stimulation of the globus pallidus, which is a remote node of the sensory motor network. And Andrea Kuhn's group in Germany then looked at pallidol stimulation and how this can induce bradykinesia in dystonia patients treated with DBS. And they found that a low beta band activity correlated with the stimulation-induced bradykinesia. And so this could be like a biomarker for this phenomenon, which is similar to Parkinson's disease. And lastly, Philip Starr's group in the United States, they found that the finely tuned gamma oscillation of precentraled gyrus increased with stimulation amplitude and also change correspondingly with amplitude across activities of daily living in dystonia patients treated with DBS. So this potentially can be used during adaptive DBS protocols in patients with dystonia. Interesting. There's new research and more studies regarding not only the motor, but also non-motor futures and how deep brain stimulation may work and even more specific therapies such as focal ultrasound and the effectiveness in this type of patients. So thank you again, Florence, for highlights about the research conducted and presented here at the MPS International Conference 2022. Thank you, Hugo, for inviting me. It's been my pleasure to do this. The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals, Movement Disorders, and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website.